Welcome everyone to our Cyber Monday monthly e-newscast for December 2021 from First Mover. Welcome to all of you and happy holidays, whatever you may celebrate. Um, just We're so excited to have you, whether you join us live and or on demand as we make these uh, newscast series and all of our events on demand to fit your busy uh, COVIDian work lifestyles. Um, very excited today to get to cover everything that's gone on. And we, while technically we always have a Cyber Monday every month, the real Cyber Monday was last month, uh, last week um, and and last month. And so we're excited to kind of cover some of the news that came out of uh, that five-day weekend of of shopping um, extremities. So really excited to kick off today um, and and wrap up our year strong, even though we got a great 2022 uh, for you ahead. For any of you who are joining us for the first time, as we always have new recruits to our First Mover community, um, we are First Mover. We are e-commerce empowerment fueled by community of practice. Uh, what that That is a, a, a marketing speak for e-commerce education powered by people like you, right? Um, and, and we pride ourselves on being from the trenches, uh, boots on the ground, having led e-commerce across our businesses um, in CPG before, and First Mover puts on industry events and series like Cyber Monday that you're on today, but also custom programs and advisory projects that we support uh, major FMCG and CPG organizations with um, across the board. So if you need custom training of any size or, or shape or, you know, uh, or consulting on any special strategy projects, we either can help you or we can point you to the right people who do um, who can, because we know, we're lucky enough to know almost everybody in the industry, as, as you may very quickly know as well. So um, while it's not about us, we are two fellow First Movers. My name is Chris Perry. I'm the Chief Learning Officer and a co-founder of First Mover. I've been in the trenches uh, with you across several CPGs, uh, from Kellogg's to WellPet to Reckitt. And then I got to work with a ton of other wonderful companies before uh, co-founding First Mover last year. Um, at Edge by Essential, where I headed up executive education and advisory. And I couldn't do any of this without uh, my uh, co-founder, uh, Oscar Kashupsi, my partner in crime here, chief growth officer, who's been 20 years in digital um, in the last 10 across e-commerce at Kellogg's, Mondelez, and Kimberly-Clark. So um, as you'll see, I, I imagine we are probably bigger nerds than you are in e-commerce, but we're no, no, no more or less passionate than you are about this space and excited to uh, support you in your career development um, and or in your in your role leading the charge uh, at your company. We've had literally 27 summits to date that we've put on since uh, founding the, the company in 2020, um, at right at the peak of the black hole of professional development that was COVID-19. Um, and we have a lot more in store for you uh, going into 2022. So, um, Feel free at any given point, as we talked about our industry events, to check out firstmover.com forward slash events, and you will see our full uh, 2022 calendar of events to come. We've got our Cyber Monday series that you're on now, which is that in, in yellow um, every month on, on, on usually the second or third Monday of each month, depending on how we overlap with holidays and other natural weeks off, school breaks and things like that. Um, but then each month we have a different summit um, that we welcome you to. 
Um, we've got our retailer strategy events, like our, our ones focused on Amazon, Kroger, Instacart, Target, Walmart, as well as some category-specific events, um, like our CatX BevElk event in March, our uh, health and beauty event in June, and our pet event in November. Um, and, and those aren't the only events we do. We actually will be launching a number of workshops focused on hacking different problems or opportunities, you know, whether it's taking our digital shelf to 3.0 or, um, you know, assessing your scorecarding and analytics internally, or, you know, uh, assessing your retail media strategy, what good looks like, how you can take it to the next level. Um, we've got a lot more in store for you. So that, that calendar is going to get a little more robust and it'll be something where you can kind of pick from the menu as it fits your role or your company. So, um, feel free to come and, and bring your teams. Uh, we, these are free to brand manufacturers. Um, so we'd love to have any and all of you join. And, and there's no limit to how many people from your organization can join. Um, so the entire Walmart team, you know, can join a Walmart event if, if, it, if they find it relevant. All events also provide recordings and decks uh, from our speakers. So if you can't be there live, you can catch up on demand, as you can from today's Cyber Monday. So when we talk quickly through a lot of the headlines today, and our goal of Cyber Monday is to distill all the news into the news that really matters and the kind of the so what for you. Um, what we do is organize a lot of our news into these three buckets, which we feel are kind of like the industry flywheel, if you will, the industry momentum flywheel. Um, ultimately, we know digital is driving growth. And so there's a lot of news that ultimately kind of falls nicely into that bucket. But because of that, we see the shelf is shrinking as retailers pivot their stores and optimize that last mile and, and kind of ultimately tap into new technologies to take the shelf from physical to voice and, and whatever comes next. Drop Digital also lowers the barrier to entry, allowing a lot of new competition, uh, new diversification of retailer ecosystems, um, direct to consumer, new routes to market. And then that just continues to feed digital and that digital influences in-store and so, and, and so forth. So winning offline really requires winning online first. Um, that's kind of been true for a while, but the paradigm is, is starting to solidify. And so when we see news, we kind of see it through this lens. And, um, and as, as things change, we'll re-bucketize all of the news. But this really can help you articulate where one of these drivers of change is really feeding that flywheel. So we'll kickstart here. So um, none of us probably escaped either the planning and activation phase of Cyber Week or Cyber Monday. Or at least if we were shoppers, we found ourselves falling into a buying something over the weekend. But I think what was interesting, and I don't think this should, should surprise anyone on today's call live or on demand, is, is I, I always find it funny. It's like I almost feel like some of the writers in the industry are looking for something less positive, And then they try to make that the story because arguably like crime sells. But like they don't always tell the full holistic story. So cyber cyber weekend was actually estimated to be down in terms of e-commerce spend down actually almost a point and a half versus year ago. Um, and granted last year was the first year that, you know, physical retail had really been impacted by COVID and there was a huge influx online as people's only options in some case was e-commerce. So trying to grow off of last year would have been difficult in and of itself 
and we would have likely seen a lower growth rate anyway. However, what's interesting is the online sales from November 1st to November 29th, per the the latest stat from Adobe Analytics, was actually almost 12% up. So while Cyber Weekend was down, we saw most of that, and that shouldn't surprise any of you. You've been seeing this too, but that didn't get told in a lot of these stories. Everybody's, oh, it was you know a disappointing cyber cyber weekend. Or was it? Was it actually a cyber month, right? A lot of retailers pulled forward all of their Black Friday deals and their cyber deals. Um, we saw, you know, I, I thought actually the interesting point about several major retailers actually closed their physical stores on Thanksgiving, which would have theoretically pumped more traffic into online, which it, it, it did, but people had already been buying forward, I would argue, even into October. I mean, I feel like you know, the holiday started before Halloween. Uh, and so I, I think the important part is we're still seeing pretty significant growth online, which on top of the growth from last year, people are solidified in their online shopping behaviors. It's just, it's, I would argue, it's starting to become less a special event only uh, type occasion where I buy online and now it's almost an everyday thing. So why wait a month to get something from November 1st, you know, till the end of the month for the cyber weekend when I could just go ahead and get it now and I'm probably saving the same amount. So um, just a really interesting call out here, but uh, in that same vein of if, if you work globally, you, you saw, you know, um, uh, JD.com and uh, Alibaba had amazing, you know, 11-11 events at, at both, uh, Alibaba had $84.5 billion in GMV. Uh, JD.com had $54.6 billion in GMV over the course of what would be 11 days um, of their festival. So they still trump our, you know, our $33.9 billion in the U.S. over five-day, you know, window, but they're also a much larger region um, and, and set of, set of retailers there. So just an interesting dynamic to call out. It's always good to look at the forest versus just at the trees. But Oscar, I didn't know if you had any builds on that. No, no, it's interesting to see a few things. Number one is, uh, the 10% growth, uh, Alibaba actually had just 10% growth in China, right? In their 11, 11, which was actually atypical. So I think a few things are going on. Number one is, we know globally there is a massive inflation, right, which actually pushes the prices of essentials up, you know. So the budgets of, you know, families is much smaller versus in the previous year. We also know that there was no, you know, um, any checks that the government was sending, you know, in terms of the help. So it, it would be good to actually compare this to, let's say, uh, consumer confidence, which we which we might do for the next month. It would be good to compare uh, to kind of understand uh, just broader, like how much discretionary income people you really have. But based on what we are hearing everywhere is, you know, that discretionary income is shrinking. And then if you lay up that whatever you want to buy, most likely it's out of stock. You know, I'm actually surprised that we came so close even to last year numbers. So I, I, overall, I think it's a great result. Again, you know, five, 10 years from now, we're not going to remember this much. We're going to be looking at the overarching trend. And, you know, like in stocks, uh, there is a year up, year down, etc. So I, I think that's broadly, we'll we'll see how things will pan out. But 
the worst that can happen to us as an industry to say it's like, oh my God, e-commerce is slowing down, right? Which we actually see a lot of the media outlets uh, saying that and kind of not understanding the nuance. So don't don't lose your passion, don't lose your energy. Just like let's keep plowing. You know, this is just the beginning of the revolution, and we see a um, much bigger potential for growth. So as you know, um, we always, you know, kind of pay attention in terms of the growth um, of, so uh, Target um, announced their Q3 results, um, you know, their sales increased about 13.2%, and then Kroger revenue increased about 7.4%. Uh, but really the, the key for us is that uh, Kroger really in that 7.4%, I don't think many sales was coming out of their centralized warehouses, right? Which their strategy, acquiring Ocado, serving um, geographies that are not yet, um, you know, being serviced by them, like, for example, Northeast. Um, so I think, you know, specifically, I would be very interested to see if that in 2020 would not flip around um, where Kroger would actually started to lead um, Target. Just because of, you know, um, I think Kroger has actually in like a kind of a extra mile, an extra kind of a runway that they could actually drive some of this additional growth. So so we'll see how that's going to play out. Not to mention that Kroger really is trying to catch up at the moment uh, with Target, with Walmart, with Amazon when it comes into e-commerce content. So they are really doubling down um, all of their different initiatives. And, you know, they actually brought in their a number of vendors that they want to be actually working with to get the best best in class content. Chris, what do you think? And, and I, I think Target is reaping the benefits of laying the foundation of Omni capabilities that that it has it had set up for itself even pre pandemic. That not say they perfected because you never perfect any of these things; they're constantly changing. But they laid that foundation so thoughtfully that they were really ready for the pandemic and are seeing amazing results, not just online, but even in the brick and mortar side as well. Uh, Kroger has seen some very strong results. They, they have some interesting dynamics versus year ago where they obviously saw a huge lift and now they're trying to like comp last year. But the key though is, is to, to Oscar's point that the, the Akado launches are only just starting to roll out. So what, what Kroger has laid the foundation for hasn't started being reaped yet, whereas Target is reaping their their previous investments. So I, I imagine Target will continue to do well. I think Kroger, we're going to see unusually strong numbers going forward as more of those CFCs you know, go online and not only increase the capacity of their current markets, but launch them into new markets like their, their, uh, their Florida market expansion that their second CFC was able to expand into, where now they're up, up against Publix with with a presence that is online only because they don't have any stores in that market. So to that point about, you know, New England and other markets where they can expand to, I think we're going to see Kroger uh, begin to grow quite, quite strong on top of the growth they're already seeing that is, that is, that is still strong, even if it's a double, double year stacked. In terms of uh, shopper engagement, we kind of bucketed a couple things here that we thought were interesting pieces of news, but it just kind of throws like, each one of these headlines almost sometimes goes, I don't want to say unheard individually, but they all like are heard in silos and not necessarily. And these are just four of several that we saw that were kind of all intertwined. But we were saying, you know, either commerce gets more social or social gets more commerce. Right. But either way, um, we're seeing 
Walmart uh, is hosting its first shoppable live stream on Twitter um, over the holidays. Uh, so again, you know, I, I think when we, we talk, we think live streaming, we think often like APAC and, and we have to understand like live streaming isn't just an APAC and an Amazon live thing. Many, many retailers are launching that and it's, and it's going beyond um, just a regional play. It's, it's a global play. Um, Facebook or Meta, uh, Meta now, announced a rollout of a number of features for shopping uh, within its Facebook groups to help try to drive recommended products um, to support the various communities and groups that they that they entertain and engage. Um, Snapchat actually did something kind of interesting with select uh, retailers uh, this Christmas, testing out its first augmented reality virtual stores um, where, where shoppers could browse products and deals. So um, knowing what, you know, Facebook or Meta's, you know, vision of the metaverse is, you know, it's kind of interesting to see these different plays into what the future of the shelf, right, which may be virtual, but but more realistic with AR and, you know, um, virtual reality. And then as TikTok becomes an ever bigger platform, so does the social commerce aspect of it. So there's a company called ByteDance that launched a seller's app. Uh, for for TikTok merchants to help them manage their stores. Um, so so again, you know why that's important is all these tools and tips and apps and whatnot that, that the tech that enables the selling is what then spins that flywheel of sellers and assortment, customer experience and traffic. Right. So um, all of it needs to be in play, and all of the friction has to be optimized and removed um, so that all the players and stakeholders in that ecosystem can play together. Yeah, just just to be clear, uh, number one, ByteDance uh, actually, um, they own TikTok, so they are the company behind it. But I'm, I'm especially uh, interested in the Facebook groups because I'm part of a lot of groups. Um, uh, you'd be actually surprised because I'm a, like one of those uh, semi-experts on hydroponics. You know, I grow a lot of vegetables at homes and we have massive groups with thousands of users. And a lot of those groups are actually independent of brands and manufacturers, which that actually really strengthens the discussion among different uh, different manufacturers, topics, etc. So I honestly think it's like there is a massive way to monetize this and create more of experiences. And a lot of those Facebook groups uh, lead to meetups, uh, which, you know, on WebEx, etc. So I think it's a fascinating space. And I think Meta, if they could figure out the right way of monetizing those uh, Facebook groups, could be into something, you know, and it really could actually, uh, you know, get a new level of commerce. But in another news, yeah, you know, for the, I think for the first time, we actually have seen like Instacart doing its uh, like a branding campaign. So um, we know that, you know, they are very big when it comes into home preparation, you know, trying to get people into buying uh, and getting uh, food delivered to home. Uh, but this is kind of like the one of the first campaigns that they're actually doing across multiple channels. They are doing it across TV, YouTube, you know, paid social media, um, you know, Instagram, etc. Um, so, you know, really focusing on the power of meals. It's like, hey, spend more time cooking versus shopping, which is very interesting um, that they are actually trying to kick this off. So I'd be really curious to see what data they are seeing is to say it's like, hey, some people still don't know that they can get online grocery uh, through Instacart. So I'd be really curious to see like what they are looking at, what are the specific segments and people that they are trying to target. Are they trying to reinforce behavior? Maybe 
maybe what they are actually seeing is that a lot of people tried it in 2020, but not necessarily it came, you know, they came back. But the, their strength really is that Instacart has, you know, basically POS data on the customer level. So they can actually micro-target this entire campaign down to each individual, which, you know, that's very exciting. And, and what's really interesting, Oscar, I, I find, and, and I think it's smart that Instacart is taking the reins and driving its own traffic for what is arguably its core set of, of product offerings and, and retailer partnerships in grocery. But it's what, what's interesting, and, and if you're on the line and you, you can counter this with your own example, I salute you. I see very few brands, and I and I look, um, see very few brands who drive explicit traffic to Instacart. There are some BevAlk brands that do it. I've seen a couple food and, and, and beverage brands do it occasionally. Um, the one that was more recent that I thought was really interesting was where General Mills and Cheerios did like a, a charity campaign driving both to Instacart, but then activated on Instacart. But I think that's the interesting part. Everyone spends money who is on Instacart on Instacart to activate. Very few people are driving traffic to Instacart. And I get why to a degree, right? Why would you you want to send traffic to your dedicated partners? A lot of the retail media and shoppable media budgets already kind of gobbled up by a couple key players. Like I, I get why, but it's interesting because like Instacart offers a number of benefits of scale and choice for the shopper and also a lot of interesting missions that I almost think some brands in non-food categories are missing. And I think I I may have shared this on a previous cyber Monday, but I thought this was really interesting earlier in the year. My mom moved to an an apartment and she, her, her, her laptop broke when she moved. And that was her access point to all of family and friends through social media and email. And so instead of trying to like, and I'm, I'm multiple States away so I bought her a laptop on Best Buy through Instacart, which was delivered that day to her hands. Like, and now I don't mean that everyone has an immediate need laptop mission, you know, but, but there was there was an interesting mission there that I wouldn't have thought I had because I didn't realize at the time I wasn't thinking about Best Buy being on Instacart or those categories necessarily. And so I, I, I do think there's a, even if we go back to the easier one, which is food and bev, like, I would think brands could develop a pretty strong and trade some value with Instacart by actually driving some traffic to Instacart, let alone engaging those shoppers who are coming the Instacart route versus the retailer who uses Instacart route. So it could be really interesting, but I, I think it's it's awesome that they're kicking off their own effort because that's going to keep fueling, uh, you know, the Instacart growth that we're that we're all trying to tap into. Um, this one was really interesting, um, So, but maybe not surprising. I feel like everyone's getting in on the membership game, trying to build out their prime uh, you know, community. Um, Uber launched, just launched Uber One. And so this is a, a membership that, they, they've, that they've activated that bundles not only grocery and, and meal deliveries, but also rides. And, and so for $9.99 a month or $99.99 a year, um, you can access a number of different perks, and I don't want to misquote some of them, but some really interesting ones um, in terms of five percent off all, um, you know, all eligible rides, you know, uh, meals, grocery orders. Uh, it's free, free delivery over a certain dollar amount. Um, I found this one interesting. Priority service 
uh, for rides with top rated drivers. If you have this bundle and I'm being silly, but like, what does that mean? I get what, what's left over if I don't have a top rated driver, if I don't have Uber one, like I might get someone on a bike to take me where I'm going, but either way that, you know, arguably some really interesting perks. And, and again, everyone's trying to figure out the, 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 the bundle of values that not only that they can offer, but that are relevant to their, their franchise community. And so it'll be really, I, I almost feel like we know Uber has been playing in this space as they blurred outside of just rides, ride hailing, but it's really interesting to see them take that next step and, and really push into, I would say shopper engagement. But but you know what? I'm so actually surprised they haven't actually go after Instacart, you know, and said grocery because if you haven't used Uber lately, just because of COVID, not a lot of that. Since COVID, uh, they really expanded their services. Like you can get a vaccine, you know, you can actually rent a car, right? Um, it almost sounds like you know they're trying to go after Turo. You know, they, you can deliver packages, which you know that again they are going after other. Uh, you know, like Postmates type of company. So would be, I, I actually think I ordered something from Apple not too long time ago and it was actually delivered by Uber. So they are definitely trying to think creatively, um, you know, how to expand their services. So like I'm waiting for, you know, that icon for grocery and just say, hey, we are now Instacart. So be interesting to see how that's all going to play out. So, uh, of course, you know, we would have some Amazon Go news, but uh, this time we have one example from UK. So Sainsbury is launching, uh, you know, basically just walk out cashier's technology in one of their store, which, um, I mean, think about it. This Amazon Go concept has been around since 2016, and we are just now seeing, uh, you know, that some of those concepts are being launched, but it's definitely very exciting. But I, which, which I actually think has even a bigger, um, uh, more of a kind of um, influence on the space, the whole space is the Starbucks partnership. Uh, so they are actually piloting uh, Amazon Go technology in Starbucks, um, you know, where people could just, you know, come in, you know, just basically make an order, just walk out, you know, no, no, no need to actually leave any credit cards, etc. So that's the one that is, um, we'll see how that's going to play out. Granted that Starbucks majority of their orders are now coming out of mobile orders, which are done on the app. Um, so less and less orders are actually being done just walking into the Starbucks. But maybe for busier cities like New York, um, that could actually work out. But we'll, we'll, we'll see if this is going to scale. And you know, it's funny, Oscar, when, when Amazon originally launched Go and there was that like, whether they put the rumor out or their ambition was stated that they were going to have like 3,000 Amazon Go again. I think a lot of people thought, "Oh, that okay, they're gonna they're gonna acquire someone. They're gonna launch." And not to say they won't do something, but if you just so right here, if you partner with Starbucks, Starbucks has over fifteen thousand locations in the U.S. So to your point, Oscar, not every one of those Starbucks may need, and maybe not maybe it isn't just Starbucks, but they they may not all need it if they have their own engagement through their own apps, but. That that would be a way for Amazon to suddenly dominate uh, a a and and I say dominate they wouldn't actually be dominating the retail sector but to suddenly jump into all of these retail locations by partnering with somebody who arguably isn't really their direct competitor in a really creative way so so again and, and if that becomes the even for those who don't for the few who don't use 
the app to buy, it removes the friction of the in the in Starbucks experience, setting a new precedent for what I expect from everyone else when I of, of any other level of retail. So it'll be interesting to see if Amazon scales this quickly with a Starbucks or somebody else to give them that kind of like, you know, on the corner of, you know, of happy and healthy for everybody, you know. You know, um, you know, it would be fun. You go to Starbucks and they, like you wink and automatically it orders you your usual drink. You see, that would be Ooh. something, you know. <laughs> that, that feels like a Domino's pizza emoji, but but in, with your eyes. Yeah, I know. It's like it, eye, the, eye candy. The camera's know? already there, right? Fa- face recognition is already there. I mean, hell, if you fly international and you go through, uh, you know, security, the security and passport control, uh, global entry, all you got to do is just like show up with your face. You don't have to type in anymore. You know, you just like show up with your face and done. Print you a receipt. So it's <laughs> there could be two issues with that, and then we'll move on. One, if you get dust in your eyes, you may end up with a lot of drinks. And then two, if you've been electrocuted or shocked by by lightning, which I've met a few people, they have a hard time blinking, so then they could never buy anything. But so, but, <laughs> but but remember that ad few years, I don't know, maybe like ten years back, Adobe. You know, when the kid was clicking and the in, in, uh, Encyclopedia Britannica kept being uh, printed, be the same thing. Yeah. So. See, exactly. Um, other areas of interesting store evolution, and this probably shouldn't surprise anybody, and, and not especially not in um, in this category, but the store isn't dead. It's just got to change to serve the role of the future, right, uh, the, the role of today. And so while this is not on a huge scale yet, the point is we've got leaders in the industry like Glossier here who opened their officially opened their new LA physical store, but it's it's fully geared towards experiential retail, community building. It's not really they're doubling down on their D 2 C business for actual sales, but this is really just like a showroom and social room, if you will. And if you read the article or any articles on this, is pretty. I, this is very clearly not targeted to me for obvious reasons, but. Um, like the whole store is set up to drive like selfies and, and, and social, uh, you know, social shareable moments, which is, you know, again, may not be for, uh, you know, everyone's cup of tea, but it's a really interesting play when, and they've got it both indoors and outdoors. They've got the Glossier Alley where you, they've got like gardens and whatnot too. So like a really interesting setup here to drive sales, but not really to capture the sale in the store. It's to capture the follow-up sale once you were engaged, not to mention sparking tons of folks in this area, but obviously if they expand this potentially, they become influencers, right? So my, my store visit made me an unofficial influencer and social commerce driver of Glossier as someone who saw me on Instagram or whatnot or Snapchat suddenly click click my link and then engage in this process. So it's really interesting to see this, but I think we're going to see more and more retail pushing in this direction. Then in a lot of convenience news, um, we have first partnership between Neuro and then 7-Eleven. Neuro is the company that was piloting the self-driving vehicles uh, for delivery. I think they had few pilots in Phoenix with Kroger, um, so now they are trying to do just with 7-Eleven, so they are tr- just trying to figure out their niche. Um, I honestly think uh, this actually makes sense because of the smaller assortment. So average convenience store has probably maybe 2,000 
skews, you know, in the or even less in in that store versus uh, let's say Kroger where they might have twenty thousand, right? So I think from that perspective, it just makes sense for Neuro to actually do it with the convenience partner, a convenience store versus like a big box uh, retailer or any of the you know mass mass customers. So. That, that's going to be interesting to see kind of how that's going to play out. And then we know Walmart's been uh, teaming up with DroneUp uh, to do that drone delivery uh, in free stores in Arkansas. Uh, you know, the goal is for 30 minutes, you know, and seven days per week, um, which uh, I actually think it's a fantastic service. Let's say you run out of diapers 2 a.m. and you need a diaper you know what, that becomes a really convenient way of getting that diaper, right? Or or anything else that, that it's like you need last minute. But, you know, my initial uh, just kind of observation around drones is it's going to be initially just niche, something that you need right away that you cannot get in other, any other means. So I honestly think it's like, you know, we see a lot of hospitals testing drones, you know, to to, for example, move uh, some of potential, you know, uh, donor organs, etc. Something that is really mission critical. Um, I think actually drones have a great cap, cap, you know, cap, uh, capability to actually being able to uh, to move that uh, merchandise and move those things. But I honestly think it's it's going to be much harder to see that you're going to put an order of a hundred SKUs and then a drone or or a swarm of drones will just deliver that to you. I don't know. I just I, I'm in a camp of um, I think self delivery vehicles like pods um, coming to the house. I think this is a little closer. Um, we'll see. You know what Tesla. Um, you know how fast they can actually work out their um, you know technology, self driving technology versus drones. I think drones are much trickier. Um, I, I honestly think it's also they're much more expensive. So I don't suspect that this pilot in uh, you know, Arkansas is going to stretch out much farther. Chris, what do you think? Well, to your point, and I feel like at some point there'll be certain scale of behavior too. So to your point, like Instacart or GoPuff or some of these might feel like niches until they became lifelines, right? During the pandemic. And so to your point, Oscar, like a drone isn't going to be able to carry all items. So, I saw a stat that 85% of what Amazon sends ships to consumers um, homes could be delivered physically by a drone. So that doesn't mean necessarily to your point, Oscar, that it would because you might have a much larger basket of items. And when you said that, it immediately made me think of like a flying V of, of drones all bringing my one order to me, which could be an interesting setup for the Mighty Ducks, uh, Mighty Ducks 4, um, but which I've been waiting several decades uh, now uh, to, to see um, if they'll ever remake it. I know they have that series on Disney+. Plus, um, But it, it will be interesting to see how, what what roles, and, and again, see, to the consumer, maybe it's, it, it's kind of like omni-channel. The consumer is behaving in an omni-channel way, but doesn't realize it. So in the same way, like a drone might deliver certain things for me. I shouldn't necessarily say, am I choosing a drone delivery or am I choosing pickup? It's like, what do I need and when do I need it? And what options are then, how fast can it get it to me? And what do I have to pay? So the drone may just be a way to supplement some of those spearfished things, whereas then a neuro or a, you know, a 
one of these, you know, self-driving store hailings or, or, you know, pods built your, your, your in-home consignment pantry. Some of those things support some of the other needs. So it'll be interesting. Um, we're always seeing more and more people trying to drive speed and convenience, right? Uh, and so across the board, some interesting uh, kind of highlights here. Uh, Kroger, who offers pickup um, at over 2,000 of its stores across 32 states, not new news there because they've been expanding their omni-channel capabilities. They actually integrated within Google Maps, uh, which is kind of cool in the sense that knowing a lot of people are using that or Waze or something of, the, of that nature. They've integrated in Google Maps so that customers who use pickup can track their order status in Maps, get reminders when it's ready, and then map themselves use, you know, as they drove to pick it up through Google Maps. So it's just kind of an interesting integration to remove a couple points of friction and not make it like two separate digital experiences. Um, Sephora is expanding its same-day uh, capabilities. It partners with Instacart um, today, but it's now partnering with another platform called Delivery Solutions to enable even, you know, again, expanded same-day delivery as it pushes to be more and more um, omni. And then this was kind of going back to our Instacart news. Uh, Instacart is actually, I don't want to say recognizing, it, it already probably did, that it's got to be fast too, right? Even, even as convenient as it is at so many different retailers, people are looking for speed and they want to be that one-stop shop with, we have all the retailers and all the categories and all areas, but we also need to be able to get it for all missions, especially those immediate missions. And so they've been piloting the 30-minute delivery, but they're actually going to be testing uh, going into 2022 by February, 15-minute delivery in certain U.S. Uh, metro areas. So, um, so again, they, they have to keep up with the gorillas and the jokers and the go puffs and everybody who's continuing to you know DoorDash and everybody who's trying to speed this up uh, to the next level. And then in uh, another news, there is an online grocer called Farmstead. Um, and Farmstead decided to kind of, as a value proposition, uh, put a lot of money and investment uh, for actually for um, personalization. So, I, you know, if you think about it, it's like, you know, many times on the uh, First Mover Summit, I always thought that one of the things that e-commerce has failed at is the personalization aspect, right? It's that whole notion of store of everything, created a monstrosity of millions of SKUs and it's really hard to make a decision because those stores are not automatically actually, uh, you know, adjusting their inventory and their uh, merchandising into, you know, who who are we as people and what are some of our choices, you know, that we want to actually see. So it's good to see that we actually see company like Farmstead. They are trying to embark onto this journey. We'll see What's going? That's what's going to going to happen. Is it going to be if it's you know the system will recognize that you are don't buy gluten uh, gluten products. You know only will, for example search will show you gluten free automatically. Maybe smarter substitutions. Um, again, it's it's a difficult data set to to build, but over time it should get better, right? So so probably within the next five to ten years we're going to see much better experiences, but. You know what I would love to see is I would actually love to see personalized stores, um, almost to 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 my preferences, to my needs, 
across multiple retailers uh, to really just kind of second focus the search on items that I really want to make a decision on versus, you know, scrolling through 200 options with, you know, thousands of reviews. And, you know, it's hard to kind of determine which is the right product for me. And, and, and you know, it's funny, Oscar, over, over the cyber break, my wife and I were looking at a few a few deals on some different sites and especially within apparel, this sounds silly and I'd I'd have to go back and audit my step. I I, I didn't take the the next nerd level of like auditing my every step of my shopper journey. But what was odd was, you know, I kind of had to continuously on three or four different apparel retailers. When I was doing my research, I kind of constantly had to re recategorize back into the men's clothes and, and I know that sounds really silly, but like, it's one thing to say, okay, I walked into a department store and yes, I had to navigate myself to the, the, the clothing for me and, you know, in, in my section, but to your point, even just something as subtle as like trying to get around what clothes were completely not relevant to me. Um, Cause it kept pulling up things that like you had to constantly refilter and refilter or re-research over and over again for something. And even though these sites are actually very nice and, and well-designed, the experience just had a lot of friction in it. And so it really needs to be that idea of like me commerce um, where knowing at, at that point it had, it should have been able to adjust to me after the first couple selections where it could kind of go, you must be looking for men's clothes. Um, do you want to only see, like it could even ask me permission, but I don't know. I, I agree with you. Yeah, I mean, the, you know, the men's clothes is an interesting kind of example because, you know, when you actually look at clothes in general, it's becoming more fluid, right? It's like, I don't know if you've watched the 8-Bit Christmas and there's that scene there where, you know, the the, the main uh, character has, uh, uh, you know, purple boots, you know? Now nobody right. cares, you know? You wear purple boots as a boy, nobody cares, you know? My son has a phone case that is pink, he wants to have a pink phone phone case, let them have it. So it's a lot of things are changing is, you know, in terms of the preferences. So it's it's not that easy to to offer like experiences that would be truly personalized. So it's 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 gonna be a lot of data that we're gonna have to kind of produce. But again, goes back to the same idea. It's not store of everything, it should be the store of you, right? It's just a question is like how that entire new category journey becomes like exploration becomes right. You know, at what point is relevant, you know, so it's, it's, it's you know, it's, we'll see how that's going to play out, but there's definitely a massive opportunity there for sure. When we, now, when we think of commercial ecosystems and usually we highlight and we have some news of, you know, some of our key retailers diversifying their business models. Um, you know, we also, saw kind of see this the impact of those but also the disruption that they've faced and then how they play a role in in you know the consumer's experience and so this was just kind of interesting news the ftc has actually ordered nine large retailers um distributors and manufacturers some of the big ones you would be able to name are in that list um to provide more insight and detail and data to help the government be able to ultimately address some of these national supply chain issues that we keep talking about, hearing about, maybe even experiencing that might have depressed our cyber five purchases on the phone on our call today um, that ultimately have been leading to scarcity of products, but also the impact of price. Right. And that's the that's the big issue, too, is is, you know, ultimately 
where our protectionist policies are in place today is to protect the price to the consumer on a lot of core essentials. Um, and so this is kind of an interesting step, you know, cause this was, you know, the pandemic plus many other drivers really did set up a lot of manufacturers and retailers for both good and challenge. Um, and so it's interesting to see the government stepping in to get involved a to prevent this in the future, but makes also be a little bit of a watchdog to make sure this doesn't hurt the consumer disproportionately. Yeah, that's that's going to be really hard to to control just because of a you know not every company likes the overreach of the government. Um, but to be honest, even smaller things would help. We have a lot of discussions within the industry, especially within uh, personal care brands, about usage. Why the usage information is not on the e-commerce page, right? It's like. You know, when I was at Kimberly Clark, we actually were talking about putting usage even on the products so people would not stock up, let's say, two years worth of toilet paper in their pantry because they have no clue, you know, how many toilet papers they are going through. Um, so it's some of it is it's just like we have to have better models, uh, you know, when it comes into forecasting supply. Um, so people need to get educated about the usage. Um, I think we need to talk about sustainability especially for product that it's not shelf stable, you know, so people, you know, we need to kind of emphasize and, and teach people how not to waste. So uh, from that perspective, uh, there's definitely a lot of uh, work that needs to be done, you know, within the industry, you know, to make sure that, you know, we don't have another issues with supply chain like we just had during COVID. And then, um, of course, there's a lot of uh, news about the retailer media. So we have Albertson um, launching their own retail media network, which is, again, not surprising. Everybody is launching this left and right. And they are trying to monetize, uh, you know, uh, their product category and product detail pages. And then we also have Tesco building their own capability uh, but this time they're actually using their club card. So it's more of a retail media and loyalty play um, that they that they're actually wanting to uh, monetize it. So for me, 2022, it's going to be the great war between the retail media and the social commerce. Uh, the reason for it is, you know, we see a lot of retailers that are basically turning their product detail pages into classifieds, selling every single inch of real estate. I mean, to this, to, to, you know, to the what sense, you know, like SEO almost becomes irrelevant because you got to have to pay for every single placement. But then on the flip side, we see a lot of agencies, uh, really looking at what's the percentage of, um, you know, our media that is shoppable. So we have a lot of those metrics now, you know, being played up. So, you know, because of that, you know, that's, uh, basically shoppable media and social commerce that becomes, you know, it's actually bypassing, uh, all of those category and product detail pages. I mean, fundamentally, you know, probably something in the middle will win because we need retailers, we need brands, but brands love that they can actually get so much data out of, um, you know, social commerce, uh, shoppable media using some of the third party solutions. But then I think that's going to also be pushing um, a lot of pressure onto retailers to actually offer up a lot of that data and insights back to brands if they basically are you know, spending much more money within uh, with the companies. We see this a great example of that with Instacart, which, you know, depending on the tier you get a uh, of your spend, you get a different access to different level of insights within the Instacart platform. So I still think that... 
I don't know how much you have to spend it to actually see Instacart sales, uh, buy zip code and buy specific retailer. Uh, but that's just a running joke that we have in the industry. And, and, and the key, I think the, the hardest part is going to be right now, everyone sees like, it's just like e-commerce, right? When e-commerce was early on and it was just all upside and you could just basically throw your item up with some basic content and maybe a little activation and you saw growth. I don't want to say we weren't being mature, but you didn't have to be as as thoughtful and scrutinous and strategic as you did about your brick and mortar business where we were trying to figure out where our next possible growth was going to come from. Um, same thing is kind of happening on the media side. There's so much upside for the retail media investment as just basic asks from the retailer to brands is generating investment that the retailers are kind of just focused on adding capability right now and not necessarily improving their capability. Not all of them, but but right now it's almost just like quantity versus quality and, and next year and beyond, but next year is going to have to be a year about quality or the retailers who've launched all this great technology, quote unquote, capability and resources who don't, actually make it on par with other available investments may not see the fruits of their labor or their early labor. So it'll be interesting. Um, we we kind of call this the emerging platform section, but some of these aren't so emerging, but, but ultimately we see that need for speed is also kind of not just for people speeding up their own business, but also our, the fast delivery players expanding here. So we've got uh, Getir, uh, at, which is a pioneer of ultra fast delivery across many markets um, is actually starting operations in Chicago as they um, are debuting uh, their, their services in, in the United States. And it's interesting that, you know, almost everybody seems to go after New York because if you can prove out New York, then arguably you can prove out anywhere, quote unquote, interesting that get going after Chicago and then Joker who actually launched in, in New York, it's actually bringing their 15-minute delivery to Boston, uh, my my you know my current hometown. So um, interesting to see that continue to expand as they part you know go after the next tier of big cities. Um, and then DoorDash, who we all know and love, obviously at home here, is launching in Germany as they expand to Europe uh, for the first time. They've been in Australia, Canada, Japan, and the U.S. and they're not stopping there. Right. So we got lots of. Uh, Lots of players vying for scale, and you know, obviously, over time they maybe they merge or acquire, get acquired. But it'll be interesting to see who prevails, and they're all blurring the lines into different industries too. So when you used to think, oh, it was really just Instacart, you know, now DoorDash and Uber Eats, as we talked about, and all these other players are starting to broaden. They go from niche to not so niche because they're all groceries, right? So does it really matter that it's all groceries in fifteen minutes or? Does it need to be groceries in two hours versus only convenience items in 15? You know, so as Oscar was talking about with, with the drones, certain things feel like niches until they just become the prevalent way you get things, right? The, the, the predominant way you, you buy things. So um, it'll be interesting to see who kind of prevails in this arms race in this space too. So we've kind of reached the end of our first mover. We saved you a couple minutes here, which is always, always good. We don't want to take up all of your time, but we want to make sure we make sense of all those headlines that you probably scrolled past, probably read a little bit of, but also have a day job and have to make sense of all of that. So hopefully that was helpful. Um, and, and any feedback you have, we would love to hear. You, know, you can shoot us a note at hello at firstmover.com. 
if we miss something, honestly, sometimes I get off of these web, our, our newscasts and see some amazing piece of news that just happened that we that we quote unquote missed. But don't worry, we'll capture that um, if you if you flag it or if we see it, you know, in our next um, our next newscast uh, in in January. But our next one is in January is January seventeenth. So we've got a little over a month because we want to give everyone a break uh, over the holidays. But we've got a lot in store for you. Uh, not only do we have Cyber Monday continuing monthly next year, but we've got our Kroger event in January, our Instacart event in, in February, our alcohol beverage category focused event in March, Amazon in April, Walmart in, in May, our health and beauty event in June, and then more events to follow after, after a summer break. So, um, and that's not including all those workshops we talked about or other things we can do to help you like custom trainings and advisory. So, if we can help you in any way, we are here to advance you and advance your teams and advance your organizations. And we're also here just to be a shoulder to cry on or someone who can laugh at the same nerdy jokes that we all share. Um, as as our, our experiences to date have been rather uh, rather individualized for a small, small set of Jedi Knights out there. So a um, lot more in store for you, but excited to engage you in, in the new year at all of our events. And as always, you are the first mover we made first mover for. And we're just so thankful and honored to be a part of your community and to serve you. Let's make it official, join our community, get empowered at our next events. All of them again are available to brand manufacturers at no cost. So we want you to join um, and, and just, you know, as Oscar always talks about, improve your digital fluency, right? Because you are an expert, but you've got to continue speaking that language and, and learning how to articulate it as we are students every day to keep people moving over that change curve. And we're here to help you. So uh, from, from, you know, Oscar and, and, and myself here at First Mover, we wish you a wonderful holiday and new year if we don't talk to you directly uh, before then, but otherwise we will see you bright and early at the top of the, of the next year at our next Cyber Monday and at our Kroger event to kick us off. Um, so with that, we hope you have a wonderful rest of the week and we will see you soon.